All right. Here we go. Quiet. Quiet. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief, Richard Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online <gasps> Contributing Editor, <gasps> Natasha Bogutsky. <laughs> It's good to be back. Yes. Did you enjoy your uh, the week off after the Oscars? We had a week off? Yes, we did. Wait, we, we did? We we last recorded two weeks ago, right after the Oscars ended, and then midway through last weekend. What did I our, do last our weekend? Our off weekend. I said to you, don't forget, we have to record this coming week. And you're like, no, we don't. Because you you did not even recognize that we had this vacation. No. I... <laughs> oh, that's why. I was doing a shoot last week. Yeah. <laughs> and those wow. photos came out wonderful, by the way. Thank you. you Thank you. The group photos, uh, they hit social media tonight. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. But... Um, mm-hmm. We've kind of had a bit of a bland week in terms of, or two weeks in terms of movie news post Oscars. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of people, um, unless you want to talk Marvel or anything like that, which there, I don't. There's some, <laughs> there was some exciting, you know, some fun news there over yeah. that, and um, uh, Finn Wittrock being cast in the HBO Max Green Lantern series. A lot mm-hmm. of fun nerd news, but yeah, I know. You're just not as much into the franchise stuff right now. No, I I love the franchise stuff. And I will see every single Marvel movie that ever comes out. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is it's being discussed on every platform. (laughs) It's an oversaturation. Yes. Okay. And you don't need 30 to 50 to 200 people talking about the same topic. Give me something new. Give me something fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to talk nerd news, how about Sebastian Stan and uh, <laughs> Lily James being cast as Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson? What the fuck is now, going now, on there? No, no. Which project is that for? That's a that's a Hulu miniseries. Hulu miniseries. Okay. Yeah. It's it's so hard to keep track of because we have so many outlets now. It's like, oh yeah, that's a TV thing. Which TV thing is it going to be on? Is it going to be on broadcast? Is it going to be on cable? Cable? Is it going to be on a streaming app? Yeah. You know, at this point, it's just crazy trying to keep track of it all. Mm-hmm. I know about once a week, I sit down and I try to figure out what's coming up in the next couple of weeks, so I can you know maybe do some feature writing around it or if i can reach out to a publicist to see if i can get an advanced copy to review yeah and i it takes me like 20 minutes just to line up all my uh my contacts and the um you know okay this is my hulu press website this is the netflix press website that i have to go to and everything like that this is allied this is this this is that yeah yeah it's a it's a complete pain in the butt that it's so crazy I know we're, it's an embarrassment of riches at this time, and we shouldn't probably be complaining too much. You know, it's what I've always said: nerd world problems. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's kind of nuts at times <laughs> trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways. But yeah, that 
That, uh, that's a very interesting uh, casting. I saw a couple, we saw a couple of photos mm-hmm. released, uh, what was that, yesterday or the day before? Uh, yeah, Thursday or Friday. What were your thoughts? They very much look the part. And <laughs> Sebastian Stan is not the person I thought to cast to play Tommy Lee. And why is that? I don't know. It just, he, and everything else I've seen him in didn't strike me, you know, feature-wise in his face mm-hmm. or anything else as that's the guy you cast. So that was kind of unusual that, you know, they went there, but it looks really good. Uh, yeah, that was the same I thought when I saw um, Lily James as Pamela Anderson. The girl's got an uplift. <laughs> <laughs> And she's wearing, I'm, I'm pretty certain she's wearing like a false tooth uh, thing or something because her mouth looks completely different. This is Lily James we're talking about. We're darling of the English cinema, a perfect English rose, very yeah, prim and proper. She's Cinderella for crying out loud. She's playing 90s white trash goddess. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I was thinking... That is so against type. Mm. I give her credit for that. I give him credit for that. Her more so because mm-hmm. he did I, Tanya. Uh, oh, gosh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So so he kind of can play trashy when he needs to be. When, when and, he needs to be. Yeah, and I, I'm trying not to make that sound pejorative. I've said, like, trash, like, twice in a row now <laughs> about, you know, once about each of them. And I don't want that to sound too pejorative. But you're certainly not going to say they were like upper crust, high class, um, you know, very fashionably dressed. They they had a. Uh, I I know when I uh, I spoke to you and I was mentioning I had you try to guess who Lily James was going to be playing, mm. and uh, you said like Madonna, and I think you said uh, I'm like eh, she's too classy. And you went straight to the bottom of the rung. You went, Courtney Love. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> and, closer. <laughs> and I will say, though, my qualification on Courtney Love is, and this is going to sound misogynistic, and I apologize. She cleans up well. When she's not kind of all grunged out, when she was kind of having that short phase mm-hmm. of of her career as an actress, yeah. when she was in The People versus Larry Flint, and she was doing all of those uh, premieres and doing a lot of press for it and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looked very beautiful. They, she had a very 30s, 40s Hollywood star quality about her. Really? In the way they had her all styled and everything. Hmm. And yeah, so if she's more comfortable, though, dressing you know, all grunged out, that's fine, too. More power to her. More power to Pam. More power. It's... My my big question about the uh, Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson story that we're going to see here, mm-hmm. how much time are they going to devote to the making of barbed wire? The sex tape? No, not the sex tape. Oh. Well, the sex tape too. but uh, That's something that they already said they're going to be dealing with well, on they, the show. They would have to. <laughs> they would have to. No, I meant, you know, barbed wire, that horrible movie she did that came out in 96, I believe it was. What was it? It's called Barbed Wire. What was it? Crap. (laughs) All right. Maybe that's why I've never heard of it. Oh, really? Okay. Why do you think I keep asking, what was it? What was it? It 
It was based on a Dark Horse comic. Um, it's not good. The comic really wasn't that great to begin with either. But the story itself mm-hmm. is kind of set in like this kind of like war-torn second civil war in America right after a second civil war kind of a thing. And people are trying to get from one area to another and they need these special things to help get them that transit across that border. Yes, you're rolling your eyes, but you know exactly <laughs> where I'm going. It's it's a very stealth remake of Casablanca with Humphrey Bogart with big tits in the form of Pam Anderson. And I wish we were a video <laughs> podcast because I see your face and I see <laughs> the gears I see, turning. <laughs> I see the gears turning so fast that they're jumping off the uh, axles. There's smoke. There's fire. Um, the, there's smoke's two, com- the smoke's there's, coming out of my ears like that scene in Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> there's two people trapped under a falling thing. <gasps> uh, Anna Karenina style. Did they jump under there? Yes. Uh, they jumped right in front of that train. Dang. Um, there's people running around on a catwalk. <laughs> screaming it's 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 oh, wow. <laughs> oh wait or, or was i just describing a scene from the end of uh, the hindenburg movie uh, i didn't know there was one but it must have been a disaster hi <laughs> <laughs> yes there was there was a hindenburg movie i think just called hindenburg and it came out in the early 70s around that time that they had those big <laughs> That big run of disaster films with a lot of the big towering name stars. inferno, the Poseidon Adventure, airport, all those. yeah, all that stuff, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, Pam, Pam Anderson starred in a remake of Casablanca. I don't know, we're, we're skipping over that. <laughs> but anyways, I am so gonna force you to watch this at some point. Oh, dear God, help me. I know. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of people are starting to get biopic either movies or tv shows about their life we've had seaberg um which if anyone out there listening knows is based around the life of gene seaberg who is an american um film star who kind of ushered in the 1960s french new wave era of film um and then Kristen Stewart played her. Now she's going to go on to take on the role of Princess Diana and Spencer, directed by the guy who did Jackie, which mm-hmm. Jackie was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. Um, and we've got, you know, ones for musicians recently. The most recent that we've seen is the United States versus Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. Who are we missing? <laughs> what film stars or musicians um, kind of deserve? A good bi- a good biopic. Yeah. And not necessarily one of, that covers like their whole life or even just what's a yeah. good section of somebody's life that would be interesting. <laughs> that is a good question. When he appeared on N- uh, VH1's Behind the Music, uh, Weird Al joked about how tough it was uh, how tough it was to make an episode about his <laughs> career because he doesn't do drugs. He's never had any kind of scandals. You know. He's a vegetarian. He's like, the worst they could have said was like, and then his next album sold a million copies less than the last one. <laughs> it's only sold 10 million copies or something like that. And um, yeah, so, you know, so some people, it's just hard to kind of pick out a thing. Um, yeah, but Gene Seberg, of course, is a, I'm thinking Gene, maybe Jane Fonda. She had a very controversial uh, run of years in uh, the 60s into the 70s and then by the time she reinvented herself in a way 
in the early 80s as that exercise guru with the, all the exercise tapes and everything. Mm-hmm. That, I think, would be interesting. I mean, she's still very controversial, even though there's things that happened in, like, the late 60s, um, early, mid-60s, you know, with Vietnam and the anti-war movement, that she has said, you know what? Some of that was wrong. Some of that was taken out of context, and I apologize. And some people still, you you know, real, real diehard conservatives might go, oh, Jane Fonda? Traitor. You know, they, they just hate her on site. You know, they, they don't understand the act of, you know, contrition or anything like that, which is a shame because that helps us come together as a society. But I think that story, though, from her going from the 60s through the 80s would be a really good um, biopic. And who would you cast as Jane Fonda? Not a clue. <laughs> I'm just pitching a story. I don't got to cast this thing, do I? Well, I thought you might have, like, who who would you choose to play them? Oh, um, gee, what is I I honestly do not know. One other person I would do a biopic on, maybe. Not sure who I would cast, but the um, 1930s uh, comic actress Lupe Velez from the Mexican Spitfire films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Is this your is your plug for uh, Melissa Villasenor? Oh. <laughs> Actually, she would be good. Not not because they're both uh, Latino, but she would be good because she does. She can do a lot of physical comedy which, and impersonations. Uh-huh. She can, you know, do Lupe's accent, and she could probably pull that off. Um, Lupe Velez, you know, big star for a short while. She was married to um, Johnny Weissmuller, and. Uh, uh- Sorry. <laughs> they they separated, but they were both very strict Catholics, so they weren't getting divorced. And then she found out um, she was pregnant by somebody else she was involved with. And that person was like, oh, well. And she couldn't get a divorce, and she didn't want her child to be a bastard. So um, spoilers for <laughs> spoilers for like a seventy-five-year-old uh, news story. Uh, she committed suicide. Mm. She um, took a uh, bottle of sleeping pills, r- arranged flowers around her bed, and went to sleep. And uh, her maid found her the next morning, uh, which is tragic. And I don't think you know every biopic certainly doesn't need to be kind of an upbeat thing. But I think that's an interesting story about uh, one's beliefs and sometimes what happens when you apply too stringent an adherence to them. It was a really sad thing because she had many, many years ahead of her as an actress. Hmm. I was thinking about, um, I know I mentioned a couple days ago, Veronica Lake with Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking... And you sent me that picture with like yeah. a bit of her hair is wavy. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yes, yes, please. <laughs> Josephine Baker. They've done a few things on Josephine Baker already. But I can see the, the girl from Birds of Prey, Journey Smollett, who played Ooh. the canary as mm-hmm. Josephine Baker. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> good, that's good. You are better at the casting thing than I am. I don't know why... Um, but thank you for bringing that to us. <laughs> You're welcome. Grace Kelly. I know that they've done a couple on Grace mm-hmm. Kelly. Um, but the last one kind of centered around towards the end of her life. 
I'd like to see one where we get the the transition from her being, you know, that cool Hollywood, you know, princess from the Hitchcock films into actual princess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. the, the back of my brain is saying Jodie. Jodie Whittaker? No. Or Comer. Jodie Comer. Um, yeah, that's good. I like that. If she can handle the um, American accent. I don't think that's going to be an issue for her. She's She seems to be really good with languages and accents. Just mm-hmm. look at Killing Eve. <laughs> True. <laughs> but uh, give us a man. Um, We've got a lot of women going on here. Before I go on, on to like Vivian Lee or Rita Hayworth, give me a man. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. That's led, hard. I know. That's like trying to do one about Vincent Price. Oh, Vincent Price. Vincent <laughs> Price and Christopher Lee. Ooh. They were friends. Yeah, they're friends. Or Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Something like the like the three of those guys. Um, God, who would you cast? I don't know. I That's mean, Peter thing. Cushing is so impossible to recast. They had to digitally redo him mm-hmm. back from the grave for Rogue One. Well. At the end of episode three, though, when Tarkin has like a little bit of a cameo appearance, they used um, an actor who was on a Farscape, and I, his name escapes me. But that was so many years ago. He's probably gone by now. No. He's just old enough to be older Peter Cushing now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think uh, Christopher Lee has had a very interesting life. He's very rarely talked about his his like war experiences when he was in um, mm-hmm. World War II. And except for the only real story I know, and um, it's kind of made the rounds a couple of months ago on social media again, but when uh, they were filming Lord of the Rings and they get to the part where Sarah Mann is supposed to be stabbed and Peter Jackson gives him some direction and he just basically goes... Um, that's not the sound a man makes when he gets stabbed. It's more like this. And Damn. he was speaking from experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I mean, if he doesn't want to talk about that, I respect his privacy. But part of me is like, there's an, there's an interesting story or a number of stories about his experiences that somehow may have informed him as an actor. That would be interesting to to know because I'm all about, you know, process and what people draw on for their acting or what they draw on for their storytelling or how a story is evolved and things like that. So, yeah, that that would be I would love to see something that explored maybe Christopher Lee's time, you know, before he became an actor. Mm hmm. But I don't know if there's enough biographical material out there to really do that well. Liz Taylor and Richard Burton. Ooh, <laughs> that's that's a mini series. That is a mini series, and I no, no, it's a multiple. It's like a ten episode series with multiple seasons of ten episodes for each covering each time they got married. <laughs> and the marriages in between. Um. Well, you do you do those at like the like the first two episodes of the new season. You kind of follow them as they're separate, and then they come back together, <laughs> like meeting somewhere or something. Yeah, it's um, okay. 
And kind of like the first couple of episodes of the last season of You're the Worst, mm. where they were kind of separated, then they got back together. And who would we cast? Oh, jeez. Come on. Um. Wow. I'm giving you this one. Oh boy. Um. <laughs> the uh, I'm trying to think of people who look like Elizabeth Taylor. And all I could come up with—we got makeup for that. Just who do you think? Up, all I could come up with was that thing from like the first or second season of Saturday Night Live, uh, where John John Belushi was in drag with a wig on, <laughs> hawking like the uh, the Elizabeth Taylor chicken diet, nothing but chicken, and she, he's just sitting there eating like a piece, a big piece of chicken, and that's how he was losing weight. It was second or third season, excuse me. Because Bill Murray was the one who was interviewing him. He didn't join the cast till second season. Um, current actors or actresses. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. You you seem to have, again, you're better at this than I am. You have the look in your eye that you have. I don't have anyone. Oh, you don't? Okay, no, sorry. I, I, that's why I, I tossed this one at you because I um, wanted to see what you could do. I've been doing the, the cast. Potato. Um, <laughs> hot potato. Hot potato. Hot <laughs> potato. Let's see. Um. <gasps> who? Andy Circus. As Burton? As Burton. I'm not hating that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, and yeah, you're right. Makeup goes a long way. Um, you know, so I shouldn't be thinking, t- you know, roughly, you know, face shapes and stuff like that. And and maybe this is because I'm like I think I've been accused of having face blindness or slight face blindness before, and not just from you. Um, the uh, the Sorkin, um, Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz thing. Mm-hmm. Did you see the uh, the pictures uh, with Nicole Kidman as uh, Lucille? Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? I I think I'll have more thoughts once I see a trailer dropped. Okay. I mean, I was a little. It's not going to fool a facial recognition scanner by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, but I but... was, I was a little off um, when I was also looking at the stuff for House of Gucci until I saw them in costume, and then I'm just like, okay, I'm starting to see it. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's. But your thoughts? Um, I thought she looked kind of good. I mean, like I said, you know, it's it's not a one to one comparison, really. It shouldn't be, but. But it looked good. I mean, it looked, you know, reasonable enough to pass. And I was, and that's fine for me. Oh, I wish she was more mainstream. Who? Gemma Arterton. As, as Liz Taylor. I like that. I like that a lot. I wish she, I definitely wish she was definitely more A-list and more mainstream for this to sell. I just wish she was more mainstream and A-list to begin with. Yeah. I think she's wonderful. <laughs> and... I haven't. I don't seen think her the in... King's Man is going to do her any favors. No. God knows Vita and Virginia didn't. Oof. And I liked Vita and Virginia. I liked parts of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't good, but I liked parts <laughs> of it. Um. But yeah, needless to say, we need more biopics about people that we haven't already seen biopics on, or we haven't seen shitty ones because the last Liz Taylor one starred Lindsay Lohan as Liz Taylor. <laughs> Not kidding. Mm. Um. It, it, People tend to forget, though, she, when she's not troubled, she can turn in a decent performance. I think Mean Girls is still a very good movie. Yeah, but Mean Girls was also before she lost her cracker. 
That's true. <laughs> yeah. Like that was I like said, three or four years before that. That's why I said when she's not having her problems, she can turn in a good performance. Yeah. I just, you know, hope she would get the help she needs. And if she wants to return to acting, I would be excited to see what she would do. But, you know, let's get that help for her first, yeah. obviously. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and I think kind of who gets slumped in that same teen star uh, ghetto if you will, as Lindsay Lohan has been. Amanda Bynes. Amanda, no. Um, Miley Cyrus. We were just, before we started recording, we were watching last night's Saturday Night Live, and she appears in one of the pre-recorded skits, and you were kind of complimentary towards her acting. I, I am complimentary towards her, period. I don't think she ever really kind of lost her cracker. Not really. I think there she... There are some times where she was acting a little wonky. But I think that was that was a conscious choice. That wasn't her becoming a full party girl. That was just me trying to shake loose in any way that I can this stigma that I have the over Hannah me. Montana thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, some some actresses and actors, as I've discussed before, it's very hard for them to transition from Disney and Nickelodeon into adult roles if you haven't already done them as a kid. Um, Natalie Portman made that transition from child actor to star because she started in The Professional. Like, you can't yeah. get any more adult than that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anne Hathaway got lucky with Devil Wears Prada and Brokeback Mountain in the same year to make that jump and that transition out mm-hmm. of Princess Diaries. But not everyone is so lucky. Um, I mean, when Miley Cyrus passes away, it's going to say Hannah Montana star and muse and singer-songwriter passes away. And I hate that because I think that's always going to stick with her. Yeah. I mean, she could have, if she has like a really good, say, 10-year stretch, you know, of really great, amazing acting roles, it totally blows out. You know how like everybody was kind of surprised when Lady Gaga turned in a great performance in A Star is Born? And we were all like, what? Really? Oh, I knew. I, 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 I Well. From American Horror Story, I saw that okay, she had it. Yeah. I would love to see, um, you know, Miley Cyrus be able to just come out like, and you're like, why are they casting her in this movie? And then you see the movie and you're like, your head explodes. And then she has like 10 years of that. That might, uh, you know, maybe throw in an Academy Award nomination in there somewhere for something. Maybe that would finally erase that Hannah Montana stigma. Yeah. I think she's been trying to do that musically. Yeah. Yeah. Miley Cyrus, singer, actress, Golden Globe nominee, dies age 79 you know and then there's like a brief mention of she started as a child actress on a disney series no one remembers anymore kind of yeah thing. um which would be great i honest to god as a musician i think she has definitely surpassed that mm-hmm. um her styles have changed so much that it, they blend together you can you can hear the country you can hear the rock you can hear the pop you can hear uh, hip hop in there like she knows how to blend and she's reinvented herself so many times into different genres um, that now she knows how to to throw all the ingredients into the, the bowl and mix her mix herself up a nice cake um, but now I'd like to see her try to do that from an acting perspective as well that would be interesting yeah Okay. So yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's get some more uh, biopics going and more love Definitely. for Miley Cyrus. Definitely. <laughs> uh, but we'll be right back in just a moment. Though we're going to take a quick break, 
and we're going to have a retro review of something that's not a biopic. <laughs> Stay tuned. As we slowly move into a somewhat subdued summer movie season, we thought we would take a look back two decades to the film that kicked off the 2001 summer blockbuster season, The Mummy Returns. The previous Mummy Adventure, released two summers earlier, teamed up Brendan Fraser as an adventuring soldier of fortune with Rachel Weisz as a bookish librarian for an adventure that saw them attempting to stop the resurrection of the ancient Egyptian high priest Imhotep and his plan to take over the world. The film's combination of high pulpy adventure with a dash of horror was a hit with audiences, and The Mummy raked in an impressive $416 million off a mere $80 million budget. Needless to say, The Mummy's studio, Universal, was quick to order a sequel, and exactly two years after the first was released, Fraser and Vice were back on the big screen, this time with a son in tow, racing to stop Imhotep's latest attempt to return from the dead. So, Natasha. Yes. I know this is one of your favorite uh, movies <laughs> I'm of not gonna... your youth. Uh, it, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it will probably be forever. It's kind of branded on me. <laughs> <laughs> um. Why are you asking? Okay. I know you have a question. Uh, when was the last time you watched it? And does it hold up to uh, like, the the joy um, that it brought pre-teenage Natasha Bogutsky? Uh, I'd probably say I watched them about eight months ago. Okay. Uh, for Halloween, as I watch them every Halloween. That's a good, that's a good, <laughs> ho- these are a good, that's a good Halloween double feature. Yeah. Um, I know I started watching The Mummy the other day. While I was making dinner, um, and when I say I was watching it, I mean that I was just dialoguing along to it because I don't even need to watch them any- anymore. I have them memorized. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think they still hold up, even apart from the shitty CGI and and uh, Mummy oh, Returns. Oh, we're getting to that. <laughs> um, uh, actually, I hadn't seen either one of them in forever, and then you suggested. You know, Mummy Returns. Both of them were released uh, within, uh, if they weren't released on the same day, they were released within three days of each other in May, but two years apart. Mm -hmm. So given um, we decided to do a retro review, why not do a double feature if they were both came out the same week? Well, yeah, but I I think we're going to kind of concentrate on the Mummy Returns. We just have to call back to the Mummy a, a lot. Um, because invariably, as I was watching, you know, last night and then again this morning, The Mummy Returns, and The Mummy Yesterday, I was doing a lot of <laughs> A-being and stuff. And the thing that struck me the most about this, mm-hmm. um, A, well, there's two things. One, they captured such great lightning in the bottle with all the character and actor chemistries the first time around. Yeah. And they kept that still in the bottle and they added new characters and, and for new... some reason it still worked i mean izzy's great mm-hmm. <laughs> um my problem i okay i haven't seen any of these for a while and honestly as much as i like to pretend um the mummy return of the 
or what the, whatever the tomb of the dragon emperor tomb of the dragon emperor. absolute piece of shit yes <laughs> I consider that the Highlander 2 of the franchise. <laughs> I was like, oh, nope, there was only this one. These ones over here, that one doesn't exist. Um, I honestly thought the kid didn't show up until the third one. I had he, totally gr- he grew up in the third one. <laughs> I totally forgot he was in the second one. And there was big swaths of the second movie I had totally forgotten about. So I'm glad we I you know took that time to refresh and rewatch it all. Mm. And um, so, A, thank you for suggesting that. Because You're welcome. But what really struck me about that is the first movie comes out in 99, second movie 2001. In just two years, the amount of CG that they use in the second one versus what they were using in the first. Mm-hmm. The first one has a lot more practical effects. Yes. A lot more. And they're wonderful. Like when they're in um, the City of the Dead towards the end and things are shaking and pillars are falling and stuff like that these are actors dodging actual freaking pillars you can see it yeah yeah and they're they're not bouncing like they're fake cheap styrofoam either there there was some weight to these things coming down and i was impressed by that i was like you know this would have been three actors running on a green screen set stage and everything would have been faked around them but no I appreciate that they're actually running and possibly in danger for their life. <laughs> the amount of adrenaline rush that must mm-hmm. have been there while they were shooting. Yeah. I mean, the actual CG stuff was, okay, some uh, some of the mummy soldiers and stuff, the face extension, like when he would yell and his jaw would just like drop unnaturally yeah. open. Um, the, the sandstorm. The sandstorm. And then the... Um, but the sandstorm's the, not all that bad. The scarab under the under the skin. Oh, that just that still gives me the willies every single time I watch it. It it gave me the willies too because it bugged me when no pun intended. It bugged me when I first saw it because it's just like same. That was like creepy, and particularly when it gets up into the face and underneath the eye and it disappears and and you're like, and it's gross. (laughs) Yeah, because because like I've said before, you know, my one of my biggest fears is being food for something else. As as a carnivore who loves a good steak. I don't want to be food for anything else. You're like, I don't want payback. Yeah, exactly. I I don't want the karmic retribution so I so richly deserve (laughs) to actually happen. But that creeps me out. Even though, and I'm watching it going, that is terrible CG. It is just really bad CG. It doesn't look that bad, though. It looks like a potato rolling across his body. Yeah. It's not good. It's not great, but it's effective (laughs) regardless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's effective. And, and it's and, effective because you don't want to stare too closely at it because you you're grossed be, out. You don't want it to be any more real than it only marginally is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they did their job. You're not going to pay too close attention to it because you're over on the sofa going, oh. But I do appreciate, <laughs> though, that in the first one, the um, the prison warden is the one who gets, like, one through that crawls up in yeah. through him. And then... <sighs> and then in the second movie, one of the people gets like multiple, and then they just like explode, <laughs> like out of a his fountain mouth. out of his mouth. It was yeah. just like, and uh... and I was listening to the foley work on that stuff. <laughs> There's some gross sounds in there, <laughs> stuff like that, and I was just like, oh, somebody was having too much fun here. Because this, the, I just had this picture of these guys in like a foley, you know studio and somebody mixing this stuff as they're making gloppy sounds and stuff on the on the stage like how much can Um, we put in here yeah 
And I was just in hysterics thinking that these guys were probably just like laughing their asses off. And these are probably sounds that they're, you know, like a bowl of je- warm gel and they're just like sticking a fist in a rubber uh, glove going. And <laughs> so I never thought of it like that. And how- now I'm going to be watching it the next time only hearing that. <laughs> I'm sorry I've ruined it for you. No, you didn't ruin it. You might have already you might have enhanced it. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, but the CG is like in just that two years you had, you know, kind of like the prequels happening. And so everybody's leaping towards doing a lot more CG. The CG in the second film, at least, was partially done by ILM. Yeah. But even then it was kind of a little whiffy here and there. Well, it was 90s and early aughts um, CGI and special effects were still not fully uh, evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at some of the stuff from the 90s, like uh, Hackers, the uh, the CGI is not great. Oof. And um, that's one of the few things I would definitely say about The Mummy Returns that doesn't hold up. Um, the Mummy definitely holds up because there isn't a lot of special effects. So you can't tell that there's anything wrong. Um <laughs> I had a, a conversation over Easter with someone as I was watching the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. and we got to the pillar of fire and they were just like, that is shitty special effects. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I go, motherfucker, you live through mummy return. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But, but at least, you know, but they're still doing a lot of regular stunt work and there's some yeah. great stunt cheats and i saw them do it at least once in the mummy and at least once in the mummy returns and in the mummy returns i'll i'll point out it's when um uh john hanna and brendan fraser jump out the window roll off the awning drop down to the ground but they drop down behind um a hedge and then they pop up oh yeah that's that's so uh yeah I mean, it doesn't look that way, but it's obvious that it's two stunt guys coming out, do the hit the ground, and uh, they pop down. John Hanna and Brendan Fraser are already underneath there, and they just pop up because they pop up a little too close to the camera versus where they landed, quote unquote, landed. And and I was just kind of smiling and going, you know, in a full CG film, they would have totally, you know, made those digital, uh, you know, figures coming down and everything. Here, I know it's a cheat, but I still appreciate that it's all physical and it's all practical. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. One of the things I, I will admit that I love more about The Mummy Returns uh, versus The First Mummy. Mm-hmm. The First Mummy uh, harks back to that kind of pulpy 1920s uh, style. Our our main characters, particularly with the women, are damsels in distress. One mm-hmm. is dead. One is alive. They're both damsels in distress. Who uh, The one is actually kind of who both are the cause of this shit yes (laughs) both of them Mm -hmm. um whereas in the second one i liked seeing that rachel vice is not only wasn't just only brains she's also now become brawn she's more than capable of of handling her own yes and as a mom with um a kid to protect i think that made her character a little more stronger Mm mm-hmm um, I know our friends over at the um, Loud and Nerdy podcast last week were doing a uh, a poll about best cinematic moms or best movies about motherhood. Yeah. 
Did you put in my return? Actually, no. I put in um, Bad Moms. <laughs> I put in Kill Bill, but yeah, thinking... I think someone else put in Kill Bill, and um, someone else put in uh, like the top two on the list were uh, Psycho and M- Mommy Dearest, which made me go, "Yikes, you guys have problems." <laughs> and I under- but, but I'm, I'm thinking though, you know, just based on Mummy Returns, you know. Sh- Rachel Weisz as as a yeah. mom is pretty badass here. And another thing I love about this, and I'm going to draw a parallel that you're going to roll your eyes at in a minute. They've been married for okay. Well, first of all, the time. How old is the kid? I would say probably about eight. Okay, maybe ten. Th- that's what he seems like, right? Ten, I'd say. First movie takes place in 1927. The second movie takes place in 1933. This kid can be no longer older than like seven, six or seven. Okay, well, so, uh, I, yeah. I mean, he, I think they he fudge could, it, and I, I'm fine with that. I think they fudge it, but he can kind of pass as seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, because I, I was watching, thinking he was ten. Yeah. And then I went back and I went, wait a second, and then I looked it up and I was like, no, those that I'm not great with math, but that's not right. I think it still kind of works. It 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 does. Um, and I'm willing to hand wave away that. Yeah, I'm I'm, um, I'm willing to hand but, wave it too because of the way that sometimes the kid acts. Um, he, he definitely seems like I'm kind of curious here. I'm curious there. I'm picking up on words and I don't know (laughs) what they quite mean. So I'm using them and I'm getting yelled at about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, but, but what I like about it is Rick and Evie have now been together for that long, plus nine months, probably a few weeks at least, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) from the time they met, uh, from the time the first movie ended, Till they conceived that kid. Oh, um, oh I, but mm. but they are still very much in love. They still have a great relationship. There's never a hint that anything is bad between them. You know, you would always see like, oh, let's, we're married, we're kind of happy. But there's they don't mind that for any kind of tension or anything like that. They are just two people who are happy in love. And if you notice, at the end of each action sequence, when they're both have been fighting. Mm-hmm. Their adrenaline is raised and raised up, and they are horny. Yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> they are just like, we just killed a bunch of mummies. Let's go, you know. <laughs> and it's it's kind of sweet. And it's like uh, at the same time, it's like, oh, okay, you need a little danger in your life, okay. But and I but think- not necessarily mm-hmm. because they've they've their relationship has survived that long together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really sweet and it's great and it's a fun it's a fun relationship to watch. And here's the part where I'm going to make a parallel, and you're going to roll your eyes. And it reminded me. Oh, no, me... I know where you're going. Thin Man. <laughs> yes, it reminded me of William Palmer and Aloy in the Thin Man movies. How much, you know, they're in love. They banter back and forth. Um, Nora probably doesn't grab a gun, you know, and start shooting at gangsters or anything. But there's very much a very strong, loving bond of love and friendship there that. I see in in the Rick and Evie characters, and mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just like, that warms my heart when I see when I see that relationship. I am not rolling my eyes about that because I would actually tend to agree with you. Okay, I know um, I know I just kind of sometimes will go to Thin Man. Thin Man has a uh, reference point. Uh, but so. if you want to fudge the kid's age a bit, you can fudge it by. <laughs> He lives in the desert with two archaeologist, survivalist, adventurous parents. He's going to act a little older than his actual age because he's being asked to do things no other eight-year-old would do. True. 
Um, one of the things I did love about that, bringing back the uh, the growth of characters, mm-hmm. is um, in the first Mummy movie, we can see Rick starting to teach Evie a couple of moves while she's absolutely stink drunk. Oh, Here. yes. <laughs> mean it. I mean it. <laughs> Hits the palm, completely falls mm-hmm. on her ass. Yeah. Um, and the whole second movie and everything she does is a payoff of that scene from the first. Exactly. One of my favorite moments is after he saves her at the British Museum, cuts her bonds. He immediately just hands her a gun like it's nothing. And they are just like, yep, let's do this. Bam. Yeah, she steps out right from behind him and like opens up. And that's a great moment as well. That's like, yeah, this is a husband and wife who are totally on the same page. Rick probably picked up a few things about Egyptology and um, yeah, that she's managed to hammer into his thick head. Yeah. And she's like... Gone is that meek, timid uh, girl we met in the the library knocking over shelves. Yeah. Which, by the way, (laughs) I don't think I noticed it at the time because I, you know, it was two years apart between the first and the second movie. But in the second film, when the kid is up on the pillar, yes, they it's a call back to that gag. Yeah. I really liked it, and I think they frame him coming back into the shot. They do. the exact same way and that was like wow okay good good on you steven Saunders. that could have been really bad or cheesy or dumb and it just worked though it worked it, you know mom and dad are gonna kill me mm-hmm. <laughs> um john hannah speaking of uh characters with growth do you think he has any <laughs> i think so yes I think by the end of the second movie, I mean, he's still kind of like on the lookout for his next fortune. Yeah. And, you know, how can he get it? But in that first film, he always seemed a little like, yeah, in both films, he seems very freaked out by what's going on. Mm -hmm. Understandably. But I think once we get to the pygmy scene, we we see something a little different. Yeah, where uh, he and Evie are up on the ledge looking down. That's my son and husband down there. Make me proud. And (laughs) And she he's just just like, no, yeah, game face. It's 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 a it's a much better moment about Mm -hmm. family than you will find in eight Fast and Furious movies. Agreed. Because um, Vin Diesel just talks about family. Because we're family and we're going to drink Coronas now. And, uh... <laughs> hey, Mia, how'd your baby oil? <laughs> you better behind that big ass forehead. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of talk about family, but seeing it together like that with something like just do me proud. Mm-hmm. And boom. And the look on John Hanna's face. He's, asked, he's being asked at that moment yeah. to step up and save his family. And that's where you can see him, you know, summon that up from inside of him and go, yep, I'm going to do this. And and he does. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's a great moment. And I think it even happens even more so once we get into the period, af- uh, the pyramid after Evie. He, he, mm-hmm. he finally gets to witness what it's like to lose someone close. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this 20-year-old movie, <laughs> Evie dies. Um, but, but only for about... 20 minutes. Yeah, but to be honest, he put himself in a dangerous position going up against Anaxuna Moon just to be the distraction so Alex can bring his mom back from the underworld. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that's a, I think that is the moment. It wasn't just the make me proud. The payoff comes with Anaxuna Moon. Yeah. And uh, 
He's like, yeah, I know I, I'm going to have to try to face this person who is easily going to have a leg up on me. <laughs> and I'm going to do it, you know, like me. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of things. I, re- I mean, they, these two films work really well together. And I think m- they mostly hold up. The Rock is not bad in it. In in the 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 preview the the prologue part mm-hmm. where you and normally I hate when they kind of give like an info dump they 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 info dump right in the beginning with here's the backstory and I am going to tell you this story now in this kind of voice of thousands of years ago when Imhotep and blah 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 and it's 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 just awful. 90% but, but, of the time. But most it films have it. Uh, I know. I, I mean, both of these films have it. Yes. And they work. Yeah. And they work pretty well. Here, though, I mean, it's the, the voiceover is Ardith Bay, the character in the film, who is, I guess, kind of breaking the fourth wall there to tell us this. Well, he he's telling the audience as if he would tell someone in, um, yeah. you know, an Egyptian around bar. A yeah. Or around a campfire. Or, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So I, it works, I guess. And side note, Ardith Bay and the professor at the beginning, who's Evie's boss, mm-hmm. who is Ardith's father, Terrence Bay, uh, they're named after um, Turin Bay, the actor who was in the original Universal films, uh, The Mummy, from the 30s. Yes. I didn't know that. That kind of warms <laughs> my heart now. Mm-hmm. I loved Ardith Bay as a oh, kid. He's a fun character. He's I- a fun character. He's kind of mysterious. He shows up. He does his thing, he slinks off, shows back up with an army of 10,000 horsemen or whatever. Uh, and I actually kind of like Lokna from uh, the second film, who's kind of like, I don't want to say the evil magi, but um, I, I have this feeling that he once was a magi. And that's why he and Ardeth know each other, is maybe they were once together. Mm-hmm. And he just found that maybe he can use his skills as more of a sellsword so um like that's my my head cannon on that i like that <laughs> that's, no, that's my idea of their backstory i like that <laughs> but it makes sense because the way that they square off against each other and they automatically know who each other is mm-hmm. uh, that's like they they know who each yeah, other is there's a story there yeah and we should have gotten that as a <laughs> as a sideways prequel story thing instead of a maybe spinoff Scorp- movie yeah instead of maybe the scorpion king i like the first scorpion king with the rock it's everything after that that this that just ruins it there is four i, I looked it I up know. four i know i've video seen sequels. them all oh god bless you child <laughs> Uh, there is a place in heaven for you for that um, i think my mom bought them just because they had scorpion king in the title um <laughs> i think i saw the first of the director video and i was like i think i'm good i like just the first movie i think uh, bernard hill is hysterical in it the rock gives a very strong performance with michael clark duncan mm-hmm. um i it's not the mummy I, I it doesn't really match up to the character in the Mummy Returns and the backstory that we're told, but it's still a good story if you can s- kind of dissociate it from the fact of what happens in the opening of Mummy. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, if you keep it in though, if you don't dissociate it from that, is this a cinematic universe, or is this just a franchise? Just a franchise. Okay, a cinematic okay. universe. It doesn't. Because I was, I was kind, of, yeah, I was kind of thinking about that too. I was like, 
when I was looking up how many Scorpion King direct to video things there were, and they're like looking at re uh, rebooting it too as well, set in the modern day or something nonsensical. Why, Why? they just tried to reboot the Mummy and it didn't fucking work? Learn well, yeah. from that. Well, I, there there are problems with the Mummy. Uh, the the recent one where they tried to launch the dark universe at Universal, which we've spoken about before, and 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 I'll say it again. I think there it's not a problem with setting it in the modern day. It's always going to be your execution of your idea, mm-hmm. and just having it set in the modern day is not a problem. Having your uh, movie be part of a larger thing, or maybe something as the launching pad for a larger cinematic universe is not the problem here i think it was definitely the execution um it had good ingredients but it wasn't mixed together right true i and i think we talked about this before you know i know again that that prologue where we're told about um what um Uh, dr jekyll is talking about the amonette yeah, talking about the mummy, and then kind of talking about uh, that secret society that I can't even remember their name now, mm. and all of that, and giving you all the background that the characters discover later. I'm like, no, take all of that out and let us as the audience discover this group that Jekyll is in charge of with the characters. Yeah, you know, as the characters find this out, let you know it. It was it made no sense, and, and it was the. <laughs> They put way too much at the beginning, and then the rest of the, the movie felt like a vehicle for Tom Cruise. It well, didn't, that's te- the problem, yeah, it didn't tell a story. It just became another Tom Cruise action movie. And I think the problem there is with the studio mm-hmm. going. And again, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, we want to do a uh, horror, you know, horror monster classics, you know, classic Universal horror monsters mm-hmm. uh, type of universe. That's interconnected, and we're going to get Javier Bardem to play Frankenstein's monster, and we're going to get... Which would have been brilliant. I know. And we're going to get so-and-so to play the bride of Frankenstein. We're going to get so-and-so to play the Invisible Man and Dracula and everything else. And bringing Tom Cruise in to help launch it, you know, it's fine to have a big name in in a movie like that. It's the problem is when... The big name the, overshadows the name, your character. The big name is more concerned about preserving certain things about his image in film over the interests of the story and the overall franchise. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tom Cruise needing to appear this way and needing to say, well, my fans expect this from me. That was the issue, I think, that really sunk um, The Mummy from a couple of years ago. And which is a shame because, you know, there was a lot of potential. I think, you know, people laugh about Dark Universe now. Go, Oh, what a dumb idea. And I think, though, they're I selling don't... it short. I Again, you know, I think there was some interesting ideas. Um, you had um... when I think when a lot of people think of Dark Universe and how badly it flopped when they tried to cross over monsters, they hark back to Van Helsing. Which was another version where they crossed over characters. Yep. Or the same with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is based off of a previous IP, but it crosses over characters. Mm-hmm. It can work. It worked on Penny Dreadful. It Yeah. It works in the uh, comics of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. 
It's the execution of your film mm-hmm. that is going to make or break it. But anyway, we're getting off track. <laughs> we were talking about the yeah, 99 yeah. Mummy and the 2001 Mummy mm-hmm. Returns. Mm-hmm. That's right. I've just, you know, the next film in line for that was going to be um, uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Angelina Jolie. Yeah, Angelina Jolie with Bill Condon directing. And he had done Gods and Monsters, mm-hmm. the biopic about uh, James Whale. Another biopic. <laughs> there we go. That's actually really good. And Brendan Fraser stars in it. Hmm. So... Uh, yeah, so I was really looking forward to that because I think he would have had a certain connection to the material uh, that would have made for an interesting film, and it just got totally fucked by Tom Cruise's ego. Yeah, and and I liked Russell Crowe as uh, as Jackal in mm-hmm. Hyde. Um, I, I, I or, uh, Jekyll, not Jackal. Same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, there are definitely moments where you're like, okay, I can see a professor, but this professor feels like if you take the suit off, he's going to just beat you to a pulp in a ring. <laughs> and the moment he lets out a hide, it's Russell Crowe doing what Russell Crowe really, really can do best sometimes when he just lets out his mm-hmm. anger. Look at LA Confidential. Oh, God, yeah. And when, you know, oh, my God, there are moments where he turns on, you know, um, your your thug character and he just goes to town on Mm -hmm. on a guy who beats up on a woman. And uh, we see a little bit of that when he plays Hyde. And I was just like, he gives such a good performance here. Why did you fucking waste him? It's it's a shame because literally Universal had turned over an entire office building on their block on their lot, excuse me, to the dark universe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where all the productions were housed. That's where, like, all the uh, production offices were. That's where all the designers were working. And all the different directors would come in, and they'd be reviewing everything. And a couple weeks after the mummy crashed and burned, you know, everybody was getting laid off and a lot of stuff. See, that's when I would have loved to have been dumpster diving at Universal. (laughs) Because... Uh, I'm sure some of that was saved, but some of that had to have been trashed. And oh man, because I'm I'm still very I'm very fascinated with again projects that never get made. Projects that never get made, and the 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 path of creation that the projects that do get made take. And there's so much being developed there. I would have loved to sing, but um, but. When you first suggested this to me, too, you asked, you kind of came up with a subtopic I want to hit before we get out of here. And that is, can these classic monsters be done today? I think it depends on how you decide to do them. Execution dependent, again. Uh, as, as you have previously stated, you really loved uh, The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss. Yes. Would you, But that it kind of really digs deep into the horror roots of it, that story. Very much so. And I think it needed to because it's ultimately, it's a horror film about mm-hmm. the Me Too era. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, I don't want to be insulting horror films by saying, oh, elevated horror films are the only good horror films because they have subtext. Even crappy slashers often have uh, subtext to them. Oh, God, yeah. There's rules, yeah. as I have recently learned watching Scream. <laughs> there are rules to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I certainly think, you know, you could do, you know, The Invisible Man as a stalker film, basically, mm-hmm. and a psychological horror film. 
with moments that, you know, just like, whoa, uh, that it, it's a great film. Um, and again, find some time for it. Uh, <laughs> I will. Once I get through my scream <laughs> marathon. Mm-hmm. I'm, oh, but OK, can you tell Frankenstein today? It, not not like a classic version of Frankenstein, but a reinvented version for today. Absolutely, and I think they're doing it all the time. Okay. Um, I know I've Robocop seen... is kind of has a Frankenstein air to it. Robocop. Um... Oh, any movie where a computer goes out of control. <laughs> so like, obviously Terminator. Terminator. Uh, Terminator. You know, draws on that. Uh, Colossus, the Forbin Project from the '60s. Great movie. Uh, that addresses Cold War fears, but it's a Frankenstein story at the end. Any story where someone is trying to play God and create something that they don't understand what they're messing with is mm-hmm. essentially a Frankenstein story. Oh, yeah. Um, I think your the mummy worked pulpy. When you try to modernize it and update it, you lose that charm of... That uh, that Egyptian vibe to it, and I think that was what really killed it. Um, was the first the first Mummy movie with Brendan Fraser stays in Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's in the 1920s. <laughs> King Tut's tomb was found in what 22, and kind of kicked off this this Egyptian feel that went throughout the 1920s. Oh, so yeah. setting it during that time period, I think, works beautifully. Once we move it to England in the second film, we don't stay in England very long because they realize it doesn't work here. We have to get it back to Egypt, back to its roots for it to really kind of, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To have a resonance? Yeah, it, okay. I I don't think setting it in somewhere that is unfamiliar to your main character is going to really help its story. Um, there is a charm to Egypt. When mm-hmm. you think of the mummy, you think of Egypt. A- anytime you hear the word mummy, you think of Egypt. It's yeah. Unless that's what you call your mom. Um, and <laughs> since we're recording this on Mother's Day, it's an apt description. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so the characters that are more rooted in magic and superstition are probably the harder ones to pull off today like i mean you could do where a werewolf movie and kind of maybe pass off lycanthropy as a disease that gets passed along by the wolf bite yeah and that that can work anywhere um raising somebody from the dead you can't do that and you can't use magic in too much of a scientific time frame. No, because Which, magic and science, they kind of go hand in hand, but they're also very separate. Yes. And I say that, you know, as I'm looking at you and beyond uh, right over your shoulder is you know, like my Marvel movies and I have like Doctor Strange in there. And I, <laughs> I say that Doctor Strange is one of those rare things where you can do a lot of magic in modern day society. You can, it's in so like when ways. Thor talks about um, how, you know, you would call it magic. We call it science. Yes. And I apologize that we've somehow wound up on Marvel movies. No, but that's Which we that's wanted a, to avoid at the beginning of the episode. I, I agree. But using it in this context actually kind of makes sense because mm-hmm. any any form of ex- advanced science to someone who is, 
I, I would like to say naive in the ways of science, is going to look at it as magic or mysticism. And Arthur that's, C. Clarke's law, yeah. That is how it has been for thousands of years. Anytime someone tried uh, a new herb for healing medicine, the person using it was a witch. Um, so it, it's kind of um, really interesting how the two were always entangled and then somehow they branched off and yeah. one it, became science and one became yeah, magic. It, it just seems weird to want to do like a mummy movie in the modern day it, unless that's the only fantastical element. Because, you know, again, it's like with a Marvel movie, especially in the first phase, it was like, it's all set in the real world, but we're asking you to accept one fantastical thing. Mm -hmm. And that's Tony Stark's suit. And that's... Uh, yeah, David Banner can, uh, you know, get hit by radiation and turns into a giant monster. I think that's and, more of a serendipitous accident, though. Well, that's it, it's it, a fantastical thing. Yeah, it's it's and, believable as a, an accident of I science. Think, I think there, you know, as we're talking about it more, maybe there is a way to do like magic, uh, the magic aspects of the supernatural aspect of the mummy, whereas something like Frankenstein that's more of a that's based in science mm -hmm. and so you can kind of shift what the monster is from you know a you know a cadaver so you know a creature created out of several different cadavers to artificial intelligence to robots to to whatever you need to because there's a flexibility in metaphor there okay i have one for you hmm. How do you do Dracula then? I don't know, but you know what? Hmm? We're going to find out in about a year or two because I think it's the next project she shoots after Eternals uh, post-production wraps, but Chloe Zhao is doing a Dracula movie. What? Since when? Oh, this was announced several months ago. How, how did I not hear about this? I was in <laughs> Dracula several months ago. I know. I thought I had mentioned this to you no. at some point. Oh, sorry. Uh, but yes, that's I'll be paying one attention of, to that. Yes, so that's <laughs> <laughs> so. Please don't make it like Dracula Untold. Oh, or Dracula Two Thousand. <laughs> There've been a lot more bad Draculas than good Draculas, unfortunately. <laughs> but again, the resilience of the character allows it to be told over and over mm -hmm. again. Well, here's one last question for okay. you. Do you think that down the road, the 1999 Mummy? And the 2001 Mummy uh, Mummy Returns hold up and will be remembered. Um, uh, definitely, they're remembered, and I think they definitely hold up. If if you're willing to overlook some of the dodgy CG, and because let's face it, when the Scorpion King comes out, that <laughs> it looks like a giant wax monster came to life, and it's not. There's no it, realistic. It's flesh. So oily. Yeah, it's just. Um, Arno Vosloo is great as Emotep, though, in both films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's very right, stoic. Right at the end, when she turns and runs. The look on his face. That is an amazing moment because you actually sympathize with him. Yeah. That you know he went through all of this for these last two movies. Horrific things, killed a shit ton of people, but it was all done out of love, which is kind of an. And, and they show it very much as an interesting parallel between those two and. Uh, Rick and Evie, yeah, as well, because she ran through hell, to just died, was brought back to life, and is willing to risk her life again to save her husband. 
and Anoxin and turned and so, ran. And just bolts on him. And, and when and he looks look, at them. When he looks at them and then he looks back where she took off and the look in his eyes. Of I'm not worthy. It's she she rejected me. Mm-hmm. And it, you can you can hear his heart shatter into like tiny pieces of sand. Yeah. And and then he just kind of let goes and falls back down into the crevice to be mauled by the uh, the souls in hell. That is an amazing moment because suddenly you're like, why am I sympathizing with the villain of the last two movies? And it's a it's a hard trick to pull off, and I give them a whole lot of credit. Because and it if, works. It works. And if that is what helps, uh, that absolutely has to be what helps these two movies uh, remain classics. I'm absolutely so pleased to hear you say that. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry that I've just been so busy. I haven't rewatched either of these since probably the mid mid aughts, which surprises me because the, its pulpy side is very much up your alley. I know. I had forgotten how fun these movies I were. Know. I was just like, I was just about thirty minutes in the first one. I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I Okay. And on that note, I guess, um, (laughs) that about wraps us up for this week. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a positive review, because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next week with more news and reviews. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast.